So I'm just going to jump right into it this morning. You know, before Jesus went back to heaven, he gave a specific command to his followers. And through the years, this command has come to be known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. As followers of Christ, we are to teach people about Jesus, baptize them, and then disciple them. And this command, though, it it was nothing new. It wasn't the first time that Jesus gave it right before he went to heaven. Jesus had already been having his, his followers to do these things and more throughout his earthly ministry. But I find it interesting that right there at the end, even though he had already talked about it, he felt the need to re-emphasize it before he left this earth. It was almost as if he felt like we would need the reminder. We needed the reminder. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he gave many commands to many different followers. What did that look like? Did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those that he called? That's the question this morning. And I I believe it's a great starting point for our journey through the scriptures today. And the Bible, it doesn't leave us guessing as to the answer either. Luke 9, 1, it says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So Jesus' disciples, they did not have this power in and of themselves. It was not something that they had been practicing or preparing for throughout their entire life. The power and authority was given to them. By Jesus. This hodgepodge group of fishermen, tax collectors, students, and for many of them, rabble rousers, were really nobodies in the eyes of society. Yet Jesus, he saw potential in them. He saw something there, and he gave them what they needed in order to reach their full potential. Jesus called them and then quickly, quickly equipped them. No classes, no semester studies, no books to read, no churches to student pastor. He gathered them and then he sent them out trusting in God to lead and guide them. So Jesus was living by faith in the same way that he calls us to live by faith. Now, I know that for some of us, some of, of this, these concepts, it, it might seem a bit extreme, maybe a bit scary, but that's what Jesus did. He called them and quickly sent them out. Christ had a method. And I think that we can all agree, since we're sitting in this room today or watching online, that the method worked. The method worked. The message got out. Now, 
was everything perfect from here on out with Jesus and his disciples? No, of course not. Defects in character and arguments and mistakes took place amongst the followers of Jesus. Luke 9, 46, it says, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. So here we are, still in Luke chapter nine. We haven't even left the chapter where Jesus gave them the power and the authority, and already it's gone straight to their heads. They're thinking about me, 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 me. But what did Jesus do? Did he come in and just strip away their power, strip away all of the authority that he had handed to them? Did he take away their calling? Did he give up on them? Maybe just decide, I'm just gonna start over with new disciples. No, no, and no. He worked with them patiently. He took time. He continued to teach them, to question them, to guide them, to spend time with them, to listen to them, learn about who they were, what their needs were, meet some of those needs. You could really just sum it up and say that Jesus continued to love them. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verses 27 through 32. Mark 8, starting at verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No, Peter. So the disciples, they were still confused about who Jesus was. Now, Peter, obviously, he had a a little bit of a better understanding, but not enough to keep him from rebuking the Son of God. Yet, lack of understanding, foolishness, ignorance, it did not keep Jesus from being able to use these disciples. 
John 20, 19, it says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. So here we find the disciples after Jesus's death. They have, at this point, spent over three years with Jesus, and we'd maybe expect for them to know it all, but they don't. We'd expect them to have overcome fear, but they haven't. Yet Jesus still came to them and offered them peace and comfort. He was still loving and patient. He still wanted to use them for his father's purposes. A few verses later, we find another fascinating detail. Let's turn there quickly. John 20, verses 24 through 28. John 20, 24 through 28. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Can any of you relate to this? Are you a doubter? You want to believe. You you may have moments of strong belief, but you find that faith waning at times. You wonder how God could ever use you. You wonder if God really wants to use you. But dear friends, if this is you, I just want to say, take heart, take heart. Because Thomas was full of doubt, denying the truths that he was hearing from some of his closest friends, people that he trusted, people that he'd invested in and that had invested in him. Yet Jesus still came to doubting Thomas, and Jesus still wanted to use him in the work of ministry. Do you struggle with doubt, dear friends? Does your faith feel weak at times? Jesus still wants to use you for the building of his kingdom. Luke 18, 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. 
here, once again, we find the disciples, the people who were closest to Jesus in his earthly ministry, completely missing the point. Just completely missing the point. And we aren't simply talking about just maybe missing a couple pieces of the puzzle. The verse specifically says that they understood none of these things that Jesus was telling them. None of them. Wow. Luke 22, 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So now we find them arguing for the second time about who amongst them was going to be greatest. You know, Jesus had been teaching them how to be a servant, how to serve others, how to put others' needs before your own. And the people that were closest to him were still wrestling with pride. It had to be a little frustrating for Jesus, right? Maybe a little disheartening. These 12 men, they were hanging out with Jesus on the daily with the most humble person in all of the universe. And they were still struggling with pride. Mark 6, 52 for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The disciples' hearts were hardened. Even after spending years with Jesus, learning at his feet, following his instruction, and their hard-heartedness led to a lack of understanding. Yet their small amount of knowledge concerning spiritual things, willingness to follow through on it, did not hold Jesus back from entrusting them with the gospel message. Mark 9, 32 through 34. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Not only was there a lack of understanding, but then there was also a fear on their part of asking the question, trying to figure out the answer. Pride is once again rearing its ugly head. And the narrative continues, then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So here's the third time. The third time. They're trying to one-up each other. How patient, understanding, and merciful our Lord is. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, this is John 6, 60, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? After Jesus explains the true meaning of communion, the disciples are left dumbfounded. Now, I could keep going on and on with verses like this, but I I believe y'all are getting the point here. The disciples were not perfect. The disciples were not perfect. They were not what we would refer to as as being ready 
They were selfish. They were prideful. They lacked spiritual understanding. Yet Jesus used them. He called them. He equipped them. He empowered them. And he gave them authority. Why are we today so quick to hold people back after they've been touched by Jesus? When do we know that someone is, quote unquote, ready to share the gospel? When do we know when someone has enough knowledge built up to tell others about Jesus? So I ask the question again, did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those he called? Jesus had a short conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. And if you're, you're familiar with the story, you'll remember that he did not rebuke her for her lifestyle choice. He didn't tell her to keep her mouth shut because she didn't have a theology degree. He didn't tell her that she was of no use to him. He didn't tell her that she couldn't evangelize because she was a sinner or a woman or even of the wrong religion. She believed that he was the Messiah. John 4, 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? What a question. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. She was an evangelist. Many in the city believed upon Jesus because of her words. She led people to Jesus. John 4, 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So she led people to believe because of her own personal testimony. And then she led others directly to Jesus to learn from him. What an amazing story. She wasn't living a moral life. She wasn't worshiping in the right temple. She didn't have a broad spiritual understanding. But she met Jesus and was changed forever. She was equipped and empowered by the Spirit of Christ. So I, I want to ask one last time, did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those he called? Yes, he called them. Then he equipped them, right? <laughs> Thank you. She's preaching my sermon for me. She said, nobody on this earth is qualified until God calls them and qualifies them. There it is. 
<laughs> she said she's here to take my job today. Amen, sister. <laughs> so I, I want to I wanna tell you a, a true story. I've shared this story before, but it's been a few years. And so I, I want to share it again. It's a story about a miracle that I watched take place during my time at the Oklahoma Conference camp meeting a few years ago. There was a boy that came to the primary division. His name is Gershon. He was nine years old at the time, and he was Nathan and Gupreet Shire's nephew. And Nathan Shires is a pastor in this conference, and his father is actually our conference president. Um, and, and so this, this boy, Gershon, he was raised in the Sikh religion. He had no Christian background. I mean, no Christian background. On the first day at camp meeting, after we had had our, our service with the kids, he came up to me and he asked, who is Jesus? So when I say he had no background in Christianity, I mean zero, zilch, nothing, nada. Who is Jesus? And Pastor Walter Martinez and I, we, we started talking with him, and, and he just he had this desire to help, to be involved. And so we let him get involved and, and help lead out in different areas. And, and within just a couple of days, he learned all of these Bible songs, and he learned all the hand motions that went along with them. And before long, he was up front singing and shouting and, and, and doing these, these dances and teaching other kids how to do them. And then he would start, later in the week, he started arriving early to the meeting. I see Sarah and Norma smiling so much. You remember Gershon, right? He started arriving early to the meetings because he wanted, he, he knew that the leaders met before it started and prayed together, and, and he wanted to pray with us. And then one day he asked, is there some video that I can watch that would tell me more about Jesus? And so Pastor Walter and I, we, we, we brought up this really great video um, that, that by the Bible Project, and it just sort of goes over the plan of salvation, what all that means. And he watched it. And then that night we had, we broke the kids up into little prayer groups and he wanted to lead out in one of the prayer groups. And so he did. And what was interesting was that we, we heard him close his prayer by saying, in Jesus' name I pray. I mean, re- remember, this is a boy a week prior who asked the question, who is Jesus. And when the meetings were over and the camp meeting was over, things were being packed up, people are saying their goodbyes, getting ready to go home. I remember that Gershon was so excited, he was so happy, and he couldn't wait to get home to California because he wanted to tell his family about all the fun that he had, all the things that he learned, and he wanted to tell them about this guy that he met named Jesus. And this, this is a picture of Gershon. This is him being presented with a reward from our Oklahoma Conference Youth Director, sadly at the time. <laughs> Pastor Daniel Ortega has, has now gone to Oregon. But Gershon, he won a, a scavenger hunt where he would go and gather little pieces of a, a Bible verse, write the verse out, and then have to memorize it and say it to 
Pastor Daniel. And so he, he won, he got his reward. He was so happy about it. And so the, the, the thing that I learned was that not only was Gershon's life touched by Jesus, but Jesus used Gershon to touch the lives of others that week. Even lifetime Christians like, like me and Pastor Walter and Norma and Sarah. So with all of that being said, I'd like to ask one final question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Has your life been affected by his love and his teachings? Has his light come into the dark recesses of your heart? Do you now, because you know Jesus, have hope for today and for the future? It doesn't matter if you don't have a theology degree or any degree at all. It doesn't matter if you don't have all the answers or understand every spiritual thing. It doesn't matter if you struggle with doubts or wish that your faith was stronger. Jesus wants to use you in the building up of his kingdom. Your testimony of how Jesus has changed your life can then impact and change the life of someone else. Jesus' light shining through your life can have a changing, lasting impact on the world. So, the question, the title of the sermon, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Share God's love his grace, and his mercy with someone. You know, being an evangelist, being involved in ministry, that isn't just a job reserved for the pastor or for the traveling evangelist or for the elders. It's a job for all of us. The Great Commission was given to each one of us. And the way that we go about evangelizing, the way that we go about working within ministry can look very different. Sometimes it's preaching, sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's just holding a door open for someone. Sometimes it's giving a hug. Someone sometimes it's praying for someone. Sometimes it's investing in someone, mentoring somebody. Sometimes it's just being present. But you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead, guide and direct in your life and to show you what sort of ministry God wants you to be involved with. We've all got different calls, but it's the same goal, the same goal, to grow God's kingdom, to share the good news message. So in closing, I just want to encourage you to be like the disciples. Be like the Samaritan woman at the well. Be like Gershon. Let your light shine. And before we have our closing prayer, I'm gonna invite Brandon to come forward. He's our elder in charge for today. 
And after the benediction, those of you who would like to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here who has any special requests, special need, maybe a, a praise that you just want to share, Brandon will be down here. I'm gonna step down to the other side of the steps. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to pray with you. Lift your burden or your praise up to the throne of God. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your light, that light that you want to shine into each one of our lives. And Lord, you don't just want it to stay there, but you want us to be like the moon is to the sun, to reflect that light outwards and to give light in the dark places of this world. Lord, we've all been given different gifts, different talents. Maybe some of them haven't even been uncovered in our lives, Lord. But my prayer this morning is that you help us all come to the place where we have a willing heart, a heart willing to serve, to serve you and to serve others. Lord, give us that willingness. Remove the obstacles, often the obstacles that we place in our own way. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be perfect. We don't need it all figured out before we can start doing good in your name. So Lord, empower us. Lord, equip us. Lord, fill us with your spirit. And as we go our separate ways this afternoon, give us opportunities to share your love and your grace and your mercy with others. Give us opportunities to spread the good news message and grow your kingdom. Lord, Encourage us, convict us to let our light shine. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we believe there is power in that name. Amen.